Is it okay to throw a witch in a pot? We just don't say that word at mass. What if he was starving to death? I'm going to have this baby kill you. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that wouldn't know if it was Christmas or Tuesday. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. It was in all the papers, even in New York. Was it? Oh, yeah, sure. Really? Uh, no. Why didn't you tell... Oh. <laughs> sorry. Oh, why must you begin our last counted <laughs> podcast with lies? I'm sorry. I just realized that, you know, you could actually verify that pretty easily and... What's actually embarrassing... Like, I knew that that was a lie, but, like, deep down inside of me, like, this little part of me was like, oh, I was a society bride. I wasn't. No. I was a redneck bride at best. <laughs> a very tasteful, like, for a redneck. Yeah. Oh, sure. Pretty nice wedding. Yeah, it was. It was classy, hardwood floors, whole yep. deal. Oh, yeah. Flowers, real ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A struggle uh, <laughs> in our families. Yeah. Uh, I've expounded on this before. Right. We're not going to get into this again. No. Not today. Not today. Not on the final day. The final day. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen to me emotionally. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird. I found myself getting emotional while just fast forwarding through the episode to try to figure out who was best and worst dressed. Yeah. Like, it was weird. I... Uh... I will say I think you've been more emotional than me. I think that's true, yeah. I think in part that's because you don't have a life. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, I think I just, because I'm the one that does the recaps, I sort of watch it more closely, and so it makes me more susceptible okay, to the manipulation. Well, I and think. that wasn't true when we started. I did the recaps. Right. Our lives have swapped. They have. But you still make more money than me. Yep. Even though I do three times as much work in a variety of fields. This is true. Ah, somebody hire me. Um, <laughs> what if that was that whole persona? And like my resume had like springs that popped out. Well, I was just going to say, what if that worked? Like some CEO out there is listening and is like, you know what? I think I will. Oh, you won't regret it. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. I use silly voices. <laughs> you do. In my special skills segment <laughs> of my resume. I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> my skills are very singular. <laughs> uh, guys, if you have HBO, <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey is on all the time. And the most fun that we've had in years <laughs> is just watching it every time that it's on. Uh, I loved that movie on a variety of levels. I think Dakota Johnson did an amazing job with a right. dumb part. And mm-hmm. I never read the books because I'm allergic to horrible prose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, and I was fine with Jamie Dornan. Uh-huh. Until I started watching it with you, right. and you've been very adamant. <laughs> what are you adamant about? What I was gonna say, your hashtag? Oh, well, see, it's not it's hashtag not my Christian, but that's the, uh, uh, John, John Oliver. That's hashtag. right. Yeah, yeah, but you say it more than John oh, Oliver do. ever did. If you uh, because if the ownership of a joke went to the person who repeats it the most <laughs> often, you would definitely own not my Christian, which I think it does. He says it about every casting notice, <laughs> like, and now I'm doing it right. Yeah, well, I also like. That was just John Oliver, like, sort of looking ahead before he'd seen the movie. He felt strongly. I didn't mm-hmm. care at the time. Now that I've seen his performance, I'm again it. You know, and I thought he was like, 
Look, as far as I'm concerned, essentially, like, the cardboard cutout of Daryl from The Walking Dead <laughs> that wears a Pandora women t-shirt at the Pandora Santa Monica office could have paid, played Christian Grey. And I wouldn't care. Like, that okay. is not... I don't know. To me, that character is inconsequential to that story. Okay. Now, granted, the story is still messed up. Yeah. He is the title character. He is the title character. Yeah. And, and his the- behavior is the title character, well, I think. Okay. I would, I am going to go back to grad school. <laughs> go back to grad school. <laughs> yeah, they chased me out. They were like, you don't go here. And I was like, I don't even want to. Anyway, but like, I think because it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty right. Shades Freed. Okay. So yeah. it's about his mental state. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, sure. That movie is hilarious. It is a hilarious I, movie. You know, and I know a lot of people who love riff tracks. Mm-hmm. And I just like, and I get it. And I yeah. love MST3K. And I'm excited that MST3K is coming back. But like you, the things that you and I say yeah. to each other. And that's what I was talking to comedians too. I'm like, I like hanging out with my husband. Like he makes me laugh harder than any of you. <laughs> yeah. Like why leave my house? Real life is the greatest r- riff tracks of them all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that is a funny movie to watch. Also great roles yep. for older actresses, yeah. which is something we've talked about a lot. Marsha Gay Harden is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Ailey is in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's two. Well, that's, that's more than most movies. <laughs> yeah. By movie standards. And that's... they're not evil. There right. is going to be an evil older woman. Okay. Because it's the woman who tricked Christian Grey into being into BDSM or something. <laughs> that movie does not understand. It isn't to say, you know, BDSM, yeah. people enjoying that, that can be rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. And that can be, you know, a mechanism sure. for them to, like, reclaim. Anyway, that's not what's going on here. Right. And like, they don't even use the right terms. Like, that's I- how... This just makes me sad for women. I am so sorry to be talking about this, but we've been watching it a lot, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And why have a podcast if not to, Inflict you know... Inflict your views on people. That's right, exactly. No, but it's like, okay, women, collectively, we can have sex. <laughs> we just have it. Yeah. We don't need to deal with insane psychopaths who make us side contracts and are weird looking from certain angles well and see what i'll say again about this movie is that like she's got that roommate that's just like having a perfectly happy normal sex life with his brother yeah and it's like (laughs) doesn't that seem way better than this whole thing no and she's a virgin i know and like even like she has this perfect textbook example of like a recent college graduate who's just kind of fucking this scruffo <laughs> yeah because she feels like it yeah and she's just like no this is better <laughs> this is and well it's like he doesn't demonstrate any symptoms of having a personality yeah she's so determined to save him <laughs> like from the get-go that it's like do you really want it yeah you're right like when it when it, it's done being dark and complicated are you gonna still want this bland piece of <laughs> dominant like uh, you know i mean presumably she'll get a prenup or whatever so hmm. <laughs> true man i should have signed a prenup with you see yeah so like if it was if it was just this whole thing about her plan to eventually get his billionaire lifestyle and like go along no, with- there's like so many ways to fix that story yeah there's so many ways to fix it 
And someday I'm going to. Okay. Great. But not today, Kelly. I'm not. But I'm really excited about the <laughs> fan fiction I'm going to write about Twilight fan fiction. Okay. Yeah. Look. Okay. We have talked about that long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Let us. Let us talk about Downton Abbey. Oh, my God. It's the last one. It is the very I last think I'm one. Just, I don't think I can deal with it. I think that's why I'm stalling. I think that may be true. Uh, don't look at me with your eyes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I believe... Right. Oh, yeah. Telegram. Yeah. Cousin of the week. That's the right. last cousin of the week. Mm-hmm. I think. Do we do things like this on other podcasts anymore? <laughs> well, we don't remember a lot of things. I think... Well, we don't have, like... We don't do awards. We don't do awards. No, we Mr. Do... Selfridge, we just, somebody just sends us, uh, fake names. Yeah. For songs and albums <laughs> and bands. That's right. Which we're excited to get back to. And we are. Um, I think we're probably taking a break, which I haven't discussed with you. Right. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Next. I mean, we'll definitely be doing Mr. Selfridge and right. we'll definitely be doing Peaky Blinders. Yeah. It's just a question of when. Right. Um, because we're tired. We're tired. We're That's, tired you know. old people. We're yeah. ever so much older than we were when we started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we'll get to that and we'll yeah. do that. Um, and then we don't know what happens after that. Yeah. If so, anything. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date. Yeah. You know as much as we do. Yeah. I mean, about we what certainly, comes next. you know, we did go back and rewatch season one of Downton Abbey and we liked that. Um, I'm so conflicted actually because it's like, I feel like I'm going to have this experience like I had, when I was doing the book club on Boards, Gore, and Swords, mm-hmm. where they were reading all the, they were reading the books for the first time. Uh-huh. So when I would go and be on it, I was rereading it. And mm-hmm. the first two books I reread in their entirety. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end of A Clash of Kings, and basically I was like, fuck <laughs> this. I loved reading those books the first time but Mm -hmm. they're very much to me like the da vinci code Mm. where you read the whole thing and then like two days later you're like am i a republican like what (laughs) just something like like there's no reason i should have enjoyed the da vinci code as much as i did Mm -hmm. um and you know and those books that you know they have value Mm. but i you know i don't know if it's just resentment of george rr martin being incapable of finishing anything apparently yeah and also just too much food (laughs) too many descriptions of food yeah um i feel like i can get through probably the next two seasons of downton Mm mm-hmm but the show degrades so much true. from that fir- that first season. I know is fucking perfect. It really is, it's and it was very good. it was comforting to go back to it that. Was yeah. considering the shambling <laughs> zombie corpse of prestige television we are about to talk about. Right, but, but it's it was just like, like no, we weren't wrong. It was really, really, really good. It was really good, and like things moved quickly. Yeah, and they happened, and people cared about things, and Bates like wasn't completely horrible although now i can't really yeah but he's always been a horrifying person yeah like he like almost beats the shit out of thomas mm-hmm. did thomas kind of deserve it eh. kind of yeah but still it's like you don't want to know that about a person no. it's like oh you're gonna and with a limp yeah well, you're, you... you're gonna hulk out mm-hmm. anyway yeah so that's my concern because i'm kind of like i don't know if i can handle seasons four five and then eventually six again right like i don't know i understand i think we did decide we did make one decision Mm -hmm. if we do any kind of retrospective it's gonna be a long time okay like it's gonna be months okay yeah uh because 
Well, I, think, just, well, I mean, it just makes sense. In order for it to be sense. interesting, yeah. we yeah. need to take some time away from it. Yeah. Having been immersed. Yeah. No, that's true. Like, just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> we need to see other TV shows <laughs> um, and just do a little something different. Anyway, yeah. okay. That said. Yes. All that said. Cousin of the Week, Cousin Leah writes, Dear Kelly and Tom, I'm writing at the last possible minute to get this in before the Christmas special so I can thank you guys for the years of hilarity. Since I started listening to Up Yours Downstairs in 2013, I went through a pretty awful breakup and lost my dad to cancer, all while living thousands of miles away from most of my friends and family. You two and your amazing guests have been a big part of keeping a smile on my face through all the drama. I have loved starting each week with, we are properly married, and listen to episodes multiple times because you're so fun and funny. I know you're going to continue recapping other shows, and I'll continue to listen, but right now I want to say a huge thanks to you both for keeping me company on lonely days and through long drives, for making me laugh even when things suck, and for truly feeling like family. Is that creepy? <laughs> These last few years. Almost every running gag, every character impression, every overbite, and every single Maggie Smith. If you're ever in Philadelphia, at least in the next year or so, the drinks are on me. You guys are awesome. And for what it's worth, I have never done a single ounce of research on anything in the Edwardian or post-Edwardian eras. I hope this level of laziness is enough to earn me a place in history as Cousin of the Week. Warmest regards from your faithful cousin, Leah. Okay, see, there's where I get emotional. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing to me at this point. Because I've maintained our social media presence right. and all of the emails and stuff because mm-hmm. you hate others yeah i do uh, <laughs> not you cousin no no not no, no. you who is listening right now yeah but like we formed some crazy relationships yeah, yeah. like some great some awful <laughs> and, like i mean just but i mean overwhelmingly positive yeah absolutely overwhelmingly amazing and hearing the things that we have quote unquote gotten people through mm-hmm and that's actually a pretty tame example. This is no disrespect to you, cousin of the week, Leah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. on your troubles. Yeah. But it's like, you know, people have gone through some serious things and then written to us and been like, hey, I went through awful things X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And you were like this important thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's just very, you know, I guess gratifying or or, or just rewarding. Like it just really is. And it's... It's that psychic income they tell you about. Yeah. That I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) No, and I mean, you know, I mean, real talk, like, you know, this is not incentive for people to, like, try to stalk me. (laughs) But, like, now I would say, like, two of my closest friends are people that I met through this podcast. Mm -hmm. And, like, random people come out of the woodwork. Or even, like, we'll meet people places. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no, three of my closest friends. Oh, I'm not saying who. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. If you don't know who you are, I guess we're not friends. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, these are people that I that I hang out with or text uh, mm-hmm. a lot. You know, you don't do those things. No, I don't. But sometimes... You enjoy the benefits of yeah. my society. Yeah. Sometimes when you see them in person, I am also there, like Andy. Oh, you are. You're my Andy. <laughs> yes. I'm... Who am I, then? I'm not even Daisy, though. No, you're not. I'm I'm uh, Mr. Mason. <laughs> <laughs> you help me separate the piglets. That's that's right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, so congratulations, cousin Leah. You actually were too late. 
uh, <laughs> for the Christmas episode, but luckily we had to split it into two parts. That's right. So it all worked out. Yes. It's a Downton Abbey miracle. <laughs> it is. Um, no, but seriously, thanks to all of you. I mean, I Absolutely. try not to get all weepy now because there's like a lot of pages of synopsis we have to get through here. But, right. But, I you mean, know, it's not- just been... You know, for every telegram and carrier pigeon and Facebook message, I swear to God, I read all of them. I just mm-hmm. don't necessarily write back. Um, all yeah. of the things that you shared with us, the gifts that you've sent. We have now probably the largest North American collection <laughs> of Downton Abbey paraphernalia. Uh, oh, crap. I don't remember who sent it. Who sent us the creepy light up Downton Abbey? Oh, uh, I think. Hold on. I've got the card. He's going to go check. Okay, Catherine, cousin, cousin Catherine, <laughs> yes, uh, sent us uh, series six on DVD, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah, and also <laughs> this, it was on. You know, I go through before the holidays, and I just kind of put downtown related things on our Amazon wish list. Right, um, and so I had put this like light up musical <laughs> Downton Abbey. That's thing. what it, it's like a, it's like a miniature. Right. But it's like the most cheapest <laughs> thing. And like you, when you play the music, like the music is so warped. Yeah. I'm like, is there a miniature Walkman <laughs> that's running out of batteries inside of this? But just like, of an evening. It's really fun to just like press it and look at it in horror. Uh, yeah. So thank you, Cousin Catherine. Yeah. We are enjoying that immensely. To a surprising degree. Yeah, it's very shocking. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay. So anyway, all of you out there, not to undercut our actual Cousin of the Week, but feel free to consider yourselves Cousins of the Week because y'all really, really are. No, and when, you know, when Leah was like, I hope it's not creepy to feel like family, there's definitely a familial vibe. There is. I that mean, we intended and more or less succeeded in creating. Yeah, I mean that's why we went with cousins once a cousin suggested it yeah. to us. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. So, let us dive into the recap. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, Downton Abbey, the worst part of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, we all just saw that Edith and Bertie are going to get married. All uh, right. Yeah. So back. Was, I like to think that was the toast all those, like, noblemen said. Yeah. They were like, we don't even, what? Why else would we be here? Wait, isn't he the gay one? <laughs> I said, <laughs> this is not our own chutney. <laughs> is that the best thing that we ever said? It's never oh, not funny that. we should have people like nominate their favorite things about it yeah and that would be instructive for us because we don't remember anything that ever happened <laughs> we, we don't remember anything nor can we analyze our own work that's true it's unethical and also there's so many hours of it now there are there's I mean, so much hours yeah i mean it's got to be something like 150 200 just on the downton episodes yeah. alone like wow okay anyway yeah okay stop Delaying. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of switch <laughs> places. Yes, that's what you're thinking of. <laughs> In the kitchen. In the kitchen. 
Daisy says that Andy's been so helpful to Mason, and Patmore says she should think so, and she says that he's fond of Mr. Mason. Daisy says you can be fond of someone and not work as hard as that, what with your all muscles sticking out and glowing in the summer sun and whatnot. <laughs> is it the summer? Uh, yeah. What year is this? <laughs> it's 1925. I know. Uh, Patmore says she's glad to hear Daisy say it. And Daisy says it doesn't mean anything. Patmore says, oh, yeah, that's your story and you're sticking to it. And then Hughes comes in and says that they're going now. Uh, Patmore says, back to the carefree love nest. Hughes does not respond. Patmore adds, I hope. Hughes says that it is a love nest, but no life is carefree and heads out. Okay, Mrs. Hughes, <laughs> why are you so fucking cryptic? Oh, this is your best friend. Yeah. Like... It may not be strictly a matter of choice. Right. But, but this is the person you deputize to be like, so DTF? <laughs> yeah. Like, why, you know, and maybe not to say in front of Daisy or mm. does anybody else work in the kitchen anymore? Uh, no. <laughs> anyway. But like, you know, don't, just be like, hey, you know, carefree, man, fuck you, Mrs. Power. <laughs> like. I don't understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, Carson doesn't want her to say anything, but I would agree that Hughes has always been like this. Well, I know. Ah, she was so mean in the first series. Like, she, she was the taskmaster. Yeah. Ah, anyway. We should not no. go down this road. Yeah. What I will say, though, too, the love nest, like, after they did all of that heavy lifting to be like, are they going to bone, mm. they still don't seem like they have ever boned to me. I understand, but I think... I don't know. I think they have. I've and never I think... been on oldpeoplebone.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a dating site, but now that I say it out loud. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's probably a real thing. That... <laughs> Let's not find out. <laughs> How about that? Cousin, have you ever visited oldpeoplebone.com? If so... I want to hear your story. Tom clearly does not. Not interested. Um, that's really unfair on old people. I'm. It's nothing personal. I, I I want them to. I'm sure that I believe that Hughes and Carson have, and I'm encouraging them to do so. But I just don't want to go to oldpeoplebone.com. Fine. <laughs> you never let me have any fun. I'm not. You can do what you want, Kelly. <laughs> In Brancaster, Edith says that was a turnip for the books, uh, getting one last use of the word turnip, yeah. which Julian Fellows discovered in his book of 1920s <laughs> slang that someone gave him for his birthday yeah. <laughs> this year. Yeah. Uh, Lord Grantham asks if Mrs. Pelham gave Edith any clue that her announcing the engagement was coming, and Edith says that they had not spoken since the morning. And I just find... I find the way that that whole announcement was handled to be baffling. I yeah. was like, had you and Birdie, and maybe there was a deleted scene that we missed. Maybe. But like, did you and Birdie like discuss the way this dinner was going to go? Because usually when people are going to make a big announcement, it's like, okay, I will make the big announcement. No, I'm, you know, you yeah. figure it out. Well, but I mean, the way they ended their conversation was so ambiguous. It was like, well, we both... Uh, know our each other's positions it's time so we should just end this yeah and it was like what do you mean but anyway here we are be that as it may uh mick g doesn't mind admitting she's amazed <laughs> delighted but amazed <laughs> mrs pelham walks in and says she's afraid that's a reflection on her and lord grantham says not at all unconvincingly right uh, not at all i'm shocked <laughs> edith hopes that mrs pelham won't regret it and it's like edith shut up yeah. You have been destroyed <laughs> by potential engagements twice. Yeah. 
just let it go. She's she's been surrounded by regret her whole life. Mrs. Pelham asks if she should turn down a daughter-in-law who has not only birth and brains, but is entirely honest. McGee, okay, I know that the fire line, <laughs> but this is also great because yeah. it's like all of a sudden it's like you look at McGee and you're like, what is the show you have been on the whole time <laughs> that like, nobody's been paying any attention to? Yeah. She's like Encyclopedia Brown over here. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I have been waiting for somebody to work that out. And I was like, why didn't you just go slap that whole lady <laughs> and be like, tears only come out one side of your face. <laughs> Edith's fine. And Bugs Meanies in the background like, ooh. So Mrs. Pelham says she was prepared, Edith was prepared, to deny herself happiness rather than obtain it dishonestly, which she wasn't. Right. Uh, Look. I guess, I don't know. I guess it's just my modern sensibility can't understand the ethical requirement of need. And weirdly, like, I'm like, because it's his mom, I'm like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would also say I find the phrase entirely honest to be not an accurate descriptor of well, Edith's history. probably left out the part where she stole the baby twice. Probably that so, yes. That doesn't show anyone in a good light. No. Anyway, uh, Mrs. Pelham says Edith is to be applauded. Edith asks if she's just saying this to avoid a quarrel with Bertie. And Mrs. Pelham says that's part of it. And I'm well, like, okay. All right. As long as we're being entirely honest. <laughs> yeah. But she's had the day to think about it, and she believes they can make a success of it. Like, is either of them gay? Like, doesn't... Like, look, this is proof mm-hmm. that Edith is not gay. <laughs> that's true. At that's least a, not full gay. That's true. That she is... might be bisexual, but that's a problem for the flashback <laughs> scenes of, like, transparent. <laughs> um. Anyway, so, yeah. So, like, hey, congrats. Neither one of these people is gay. Like, doesn't that satisfy your baseline (laughs) moral problem? Yeah. So, I guess also in those flashback scenes in Transparent, you could probably see Michael Gregson in the background. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's in the 30s. Oh, okay. It's like, I think it's like, it's between 35 and 39. Okay. Because the fan, well, anyway, you know what? Let's not spoil anything. Yeah, let's not. Well, you know, in uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the Garfinkel ring... Uh-huh. Is a reference to the Giddle Ring mm-hmm. that is in Transparent, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty. Cool. <laughs> I like Crazy Ex Girlfriend. If you guys are looking for something fun to watch, yes. we recommend both Crazy Ex Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin. Yeah, may have done so on this podcast previously, possibly. But, but it's like you know, in this DVR esque world, it's as close as we get to appointment viewing. Yeah, well, that yeah. and the Americans, which is coming back this week. I know that's what we're watching. Yeah. Um, Bertie says then everything's settled, but there is one more thing. Oh, thanks, Columbo. (laughs) (laughs) That's insulting to Peter Falk. (laughs) You're right. Edith asks, uh, Bertie says there's one more thing, and Edith asks what, and Bertie asks if she'll bally well kiss him. And she does, and it is so cute. It is very cute. Once again. His last name is Haddon Patton. Wow, like that hyphenated. is yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Like, written in their hyphenated names. I know, man. Like, they've been doing them forever. Yeah. Um, and I wish... I want to say Mark, but that could be wrong. So... Let's call him Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> for I like him so very much. Well, okay. Like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Anyway. And he's, like, really cute, but, like, when you put him against a really handsome person, you're like, oh, okay. Okay, this is hopefully... This is not the last thing I'm going to say about season one of Down. <laughs> Guys, I have talked a merciless amount of shit about dan stevens on this podcast this and i know true. we kind of made amends for it a little bit but then i also recently read where somebody else was like yeah his film career ain't shit like both he and jessica brown finley it's yeah like, Ugh. yeah 
um, much like this podcast. <laughs> we were like, boy, we're really going to cash in on this Downton Abbey train. <laughs> Why is there a unicorn in this? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that'll be our surprise for our retrospect. We're going to have a unicorn on. That's, that's right. The one from Winter's Tale. Yeah, a magic time-traveling unicorn. <laughs> they stole that from Madeline Langle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Madeline Langle. Low. Uh, <laughs> okay. Dan Stevens was so handsome mm-hmm. in season one of Downton Abbey. Yeah. Like so handsome and he was doing a bit of the alan although alan leach has been on a very uh chubbed out trajectory like he has just Mm -hmm. gotten progressively chubbier true and dan stevens was yo-yo dieting which i as a yo-yo dieter appreciate (laughs) right um no but i just i mean and we watched the whole season like last weekend and Mm -hmm. i just couldn't stop saying out loud to no one (laughs) he was so handsome like he really damn he was sold it it was key to the whole you know storyline too weirdly like more effective than matthew could be handsome yeah because matthew dan stevens wasn't too attractive to be on this show yeah yeah whereas matthew good you're like what are you hanging out with these people for (laughs) right like maybe Lily James, but even she has kind of like a weird mouth and eyebrow situation going on. I understand. Well, and it's more just that he he knows it, and <clears throat> like I don't want to like he there was there was nothing that Matthew Good could do with his character as written. Like it never had a chance. I'm so curious why he did it. Yeah. Like I mean, I guess his film career hasn't exactly been the tits lately, right? Like, um, but yeah, I just. I, it's such an odd choice because yeah. to me, or maybe this is grooming him for that, but like he could have probably headlined his own show mm-hmm. that had a character that was a person <laughs> right. and not a cobbled together collection of traits <laughs> that Mary could get behind. Yeah. Like anyway. Yeah. Back to the current show. Um, at Murdy House, Crookshank walks up to Isabel and the Dowager, who asks her if anybody's told Murdy they're there. Crookshank says no, nor will they. The Dowager says that now that she doesn't need Isabel to take Murdy off her hands, and she doesn't have to wait long for, you know, God to take Murdy off her hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Murdy is lying upstairs in the shadow of death and does what she tells him. The Dowager is so fucking amazing. She is. Like, damn. Mm-hmm. Like, Maggie Smith, will you please come with me to Kaiser Permanente and advocate for my health? <laughs> she doesn't even go to the goddamn Oscars. She will not do that. No, I understand. What if I brought <laughs> that-, that to her agent? <laughs> Would that be the craziest email that Maggie Smith's agent has received? I gotta think no. Yeah. Crookshank asks why they should disturb Murdy's peace, but then Murdy comes along uh, in the sort of the upstairs hallway, which you can see, uh, Then and says that he heard the Dowager's voice. Crookshank says that she can believe it, uh, which, yeah, that was the whole point, was that he, you know, come yeah. on. Murdy asks why nobody told him they were there, and then Larry shows up, and Crookshank asks why he didn't stop Murdy. Larry says that Murdy caught him unawares. Uh, Murdy, he's a sick old man, Larry Gray. Like, if you're gonna be evil, get to it, man. Yeah. Like, they could have just suffocated him with a pillow. <laughs> right. And nobody would have known the difference. Yeah, you would think. Murdy asks Isabel why she stayed away, and the Dowager says she didn't. She was denied entry. Oh, and she just gets so, like, puffed up about this and angry. Again, Penelope Wilton, like, 
the fact that she holds up mm-hmm. literally right next to Maggie Smith. Yeah. Basically the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's true. And not in, like, not in any way. Maggie Smith is one thing. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Penelope Wilton is like right up there with the other dates. Yeah. As far as that's concerned. Yeah, she really is. Murdy asks if that's true and Crookshank says, of course not. Isabel steps in and says, here's what we'll do. They'll go up and speak to his valet who can take everything Murdy needs to her, to her house this evening. Larry says, this is all unnecessary and pleasant and mighty suggest, but then Isabel says, no, she has let him steer them long enough. In a future, she will look after Murdy. <gasps> uh-huh. Larry says, surely, but Murdy shouts, no. And he says, Larry, as my son, I love you, but I've tried and failed to like you. Will you please leave me to get on with what remains of my life? Uh, Murdy for the win? <laughs> yeah. Murdy! Yeah. Where have you been all these years? Boom. Uh, yeah, that was like, you know, a, a moment. Larry says that this is Murdy's home, and Murdy says, not anymore, take it, and may you have joy of it. Isabel says, furthermore, she intends to marry him as soon as it can be arranged. Crookshank tries to say that Isabel just wants to take Murdy away from his son and his family and kidnap him into marriage. And what do you say to that? Murdy says, how perfectly marvelous. Ah! Murdy Bell! Yeah. Is a murder! Yeah, it's happening. Isabel goes to him and the Dowager says, and who can argue with that? Great scene. Great scene. Although I will also say, as much as I enjoy the cartoonish villainy of Larry Gray <laughs> and Amelia Crookshank... Who are these people? <laughs> like, who does, like, I, like just the disingenuousness of them being yeah. like, but you love her home. <laughs> no, dude. It's like, yeah. why are you in denial? And like, and he already said you can have the fucking house. Yeah, true. Like, anyway. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they still don't want him getting married because who knows what legal things could come up. But, you know. Yeah. Like, Isabel gives, Isabel would never want that house. Well, they judge everybody by their own scheming nature. That's true. Yeah. Boy. You know who their butler should be? Who? Thomas. <laughs> First season, Thomas. They'd rule the county. Okay, one more thing yeah. about season one. O'Brien was so pivotal to this show. Yeah. Like, she was, like, bizarrely the glue that held everything together. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't believe that that was the truth. Yeah, it was a surprise. But she, yeah, she really... She had this very unique... uh Point of view and place in the series. And- yeah, and just... She... To, to a surprising degree in retrospect she really cared about stuff and felt strongly no she and thomas were essentially like pro-labor yeah yeah in so far as anybody could do anything about it yeah and yeah and she was a source of a lot of conflict mm-hmm. and her relationship with mcgee was really fascinating yeah. anyway yeah, okay. we'll talk all about this later with the unicorn yeah <laughs> I hope it's available. <laughs> uh, it's career also not going that great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that live action revival of the last unicorn fell through. And then cars pull up at Downton and Marion Branson come out and greet the family. Uh, Branson asks when the wedding will be. And he says they were thinking Christmas, maybe New Year's Eve when the decorations are still up, which is like, did you need to say that yeah. part? That last part? They did. Anyway. Yeah. Lord Grantham says it's a good idea. She can wake up in the new year with her new life. Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. It is. As they walk in, Edith tells Mary she knows she made it all happen, and Mary says she was never convinced that it was over with Bertie. 
Edith asks why she did it. Mary says it was something the Dowager Countess said, that it would be such a waste for both her and Bertie. Edith says Mary is a paradox. She makes her miserable for years and then gives her her life back. Mary says they're blood and they're stuck with it. So let's try and do a little better in the future. I'm not sure that's a paradox. Yeah, it's actually not. Um, but it's anyway. It's just somebody doing two different things at different times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personal growth. Yeah. Anyway. For example. Uh, so they've buried the hatchet for yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah. So great. They'll get along forever. Until the inevitable revival in which I'm sure they will be bitter enemies once again. There's talk of a movie. If they fucking do a movie, I'm going <laughs> to gouge my eyes out. Uh, they they really might. I don't. Like, I'm on the, in the theater? That is the claim. They are. No. I'll look. Did we learn nothing from Entourage? <laughs> the movie? We didn't learn anything from it, actually. No. We couldn't even. We couldn't even watch it, like, to make fun of it. Like, no. We j- no. Yeah. We couldn't look directly at it. <laughs> right, exactly. That was also on HBO a bunch. Yeah. yeah, wow. Um. Anyway. In the kitchen, Daisy says that Edith will be a marchioness, which almost makes up for Mary not being a duchess. Um. Wait a minute. Wasn't Daisy, like, all down with the upper classes this whole season? Uh, yeah. Wasn't she complaining about the class system? It, it is a weird thing for her to say. Okay. Yeah. Well, and especially, well, yeah. Anyway, it's a weird thing for her to say. And Patmore says, hark at you, Becky Sharp. Andy comes in to say that they've gone to dinner. Andy heard Lord Grantham say it will be an early night. Patmore says she wouldn't mind that. Daisy says she never properly thanked Andy for his work at the farm. And Andy says, no need. He did it for Mr. Mason. Daisy says she's grateful anyway, and Andy says he knows she doesn't like him like he likes her, so let's not pretend. Patmore tells Andy to get going, uh, and, oh, and then says to Daisy, oh, don't tell me, he's gone off you, so now you're sweet on him, and Daisy says, not exactly, and Patmore says, near enough. Great, I love that this ship is happening. Not! <laughs> sweet burn. In the hall, Mosley tells Baxter that while she was away, Bax- he, Baxter says, he decided to accept Teach's offer. She knew he would, and she's glad. Mosley says they won't lose touch, and Baxter says no, he can be sure of that. Great. Yeah. Also, a sh- and I'm like pro this ship. Yeah, yeah. But this ship never leaves the harbor. No, it never does. It just sort of like sits there. It's kind of like a rowboat that has like a very small hole and is missing an oar. <laughs> yes. That is a very accurate description. Mrs. Patmore tells Daisy they've got three months to plan the wedding, so she doesn't want any mistakes. Daisy says she doesn't think people in general want mistakes. They just happen, yeah, which, which is, is true. Yeah, that was actually a really good line. I liked it. 29th December, 1925. Boy, those three months just flew by. They really did. Servants put up decorations and move tables, and Carson supervises things. And then Rose and Atticus walk in and greet Carson, and McGee walks in and said they weren't expecting them for another hour. Rose says, oh, the crew are very efficient getting their bags off, and everybody greets each other. McGee asks about the baby. Rose says that they didn't bring her because Nanny wouldn't let them. And Branson says they always have to do what Nanny says. Uh, you mean the Nanny that called your child a wicked little half-breed? Yeah. Like that Nanny? Uh... Oh, cross, crossbreed. I'm sorry. Oh, right. Uh, they had uh, completely forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Julian Fellows. In the, in the World War II one, it's discovered that Branson has like a brain tumor. <laughs> <laughs> that completely changed his personality. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, that idea is so much. <laughs> he has surgery, gets it removed, like, and he wakes up on the operating table and he's like, I'm off to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go back. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> My monkey nephew was there. <laughs> I don't know what accent I was just doing. I'm usually a much more competent Branson. Well, it's all right. He just had surgery. It's I mean, it's going to change his chance. accent. <laughs> no, he sits up and he says, I've got my American accent to keep me warm, doctor. I'm off to the Titanic. I'm Patrick Crawley. Oh, man. Remember how many Titanic things we did? Yeah. I still haven't, like, <laughs> recovered. Yeah, I understand. God, the blue. Shh. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, the nanny said there'd be germs on the ship or whatever, and Edith says that, oh, she missed Christmas with her baby, and Rose says, yes, the poor captain did his best on board for to celebrate Christmas, but she just wept every day of the voyage, which seems like a bummer. Is she bipolar? Uh, she, she doesn't seem particularly weepy now. Atticus says the baby wouldn't know if it was Christmas or Tuesday. Uh, you know, Atticus, it can be both. <laughs> But Rose says that's a man thing to say. Atticus says the baby's only three months old. But Rose says such a clever three months. She's got masses of pictures. Uh, she asks after, You know, the pictures won't tell him how clever she is. That's true. Unless they're for, like, doing math. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Remember Daisy's maths? I do. <laughs> <laughs> man, a lot of crap has happened on this show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she asks after her father, and he's running late. Uh, there, he's going to be giving the speeches at the wedding, I guess. And then Rosamond and Lord Grantham come in. Rose says, this makes no sense to me. Rose says Atticus was so clever to get off work. They've actually got a lot of work for him to do in London, but they're pretending they're just there for fun. And I don't follow that at all. Like, I don't follow that sentence at all. That's, I don't either. Yeah. Mary says, well, let's start the fun with tea in the library. Oh, slow down, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> But Rose says she has to go say hi to the servants. She goes off, and Rosamond says that Rose is a wife and a mother now, but she seems quite unchanged. McGee says it's a sign of Atticus's care of her. Atticus says, or my weakness. Which is like, that's like truck commercial levels of, like, gender essentialism. It like, is. what is this? The revival of Futurama? <laughs> yeah, a little unpleasant. And that whole scene is just as exciting as you would imagine a scene of somebody arriving after a trip and making small talk with everybody would oh, yeah. be like the fact uh, that they don't talk about the weather is shocking <laughs> that's actually true downstairs everyone is admiring the baby pictures the baby is named victoria rachel cora and mrs patmore says not susan for your own mother rose is like no. yeah yeah so actually her full name is victoria rachel cora horrible bitch <laughs> 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 Uh, she says that she didn't expect to see Mosley down there since she heard he's a teacher. Now, where would she... Who's fucking writing you a letter? She's been... And being like, dear Rose. She writes to Mosley every week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He says, yes, he is a teacher, but he's there until the wedding. Uh, I hope he means he's there, like, for the week and not like he's been there for three months. (laughs) I've always been here. Molesley made me choke on my own saliva. <laughs> a lifetime original movie. You almost made me do a <laughs> No more jokes. <laughs> Rose hopes that Carson appreciates that Molesley is there. Uh, spoiler alert. He does not. <laughs> yeah. 
Anna walks in super pregnant. Yeah. Like the most pregnant. Right. And Rose asks when she's due. Anna says about 10 days. Rose says she doesn't envy her, but it's such fun after. That's what you've got to tell yourself. Uh, if you are a rich ass lady. <laughs> She asks if Thomas will be there. Hughes says that he's been invited to the wedding, but she doesn't know if he'll be able to get away. Who invites your ex under butler to the wet? Like, what does Emily Post have to say about that? I don't know. I don't. I've never lived with an employee. That is so weird. Yeah. Anyway. Is Gwen invited? (laughs) Probably not. Not after that display at luncheon. (laughs) What about that hedge witch? Focus. Okay. God, I forgot about that. Sorry. The hedge witch who raped Branson? Yeah. Maybe that's what did it. Oh, you could be right. It's all PTSD. A member of the lower classes raped him. Yeah. And now he's like, toss all the way. (laughs) Yeah. They haven't raped me yet. Our backstories are a lot more compelling than Julian's. (laughs) This is has generally been true for the last few years rose exposits of course thomas has a new job daisy says thomas hates the new job mrs patmore says not to exaggerate it's just quieter than he's used to andy walks in rose says he looks familiar and he explains that he was in the last christmas special (laughs) and just stuck around (laughs) daisy says he's taken to country life and he ignores her Carson asks Mrs. Patmore if he should ask McGee to put the kettle on, and Mrs. Patmore says it's all ready. That's a way to end a scene. It is. Dower House. Spratt smiles to himself as he writes, and then he hears Danker approaching and covers it up. She asks what he's doing, and he says to mind her own business. She says she knows he resents her. Spratt asks why he'd resent her, and she says because she's interesting, she's exotic, and she's attractive. Uh, wrong, wrong, and wrong. I don't... I feel like there's, like, a woman inside a Farron fellow. <laughs> and it is Danker. <laughs> like, it would explain a lot. I mean, I feel like Danker has become actually insane over the course <laughs> of the last two years. Well, yeah, she's not allowed to drink anymore. Well, that's right. That could do it. Anyway, Spratt shudders and says that this is worse than he thought. Does she always have trouble distinguishing fact from fiction? Denker says that she has a high regard for the truth, unlike Spratt. She knows his dirty little secret and just wonders what the Dowager would think about his double life. And uh, she pulls out a copy of E, the Edith magazine, and says that he's a butler by day and a journalist by night, like Jekyll and Hyde, which... The, the, no, the Jekyll, Jekyll Hyde were, was a doctor and Hyde was a rapist murderer. Right. I just listened to <laughs> the original concept recording of the complete gothic musical, right. uh, which is awful. Yeah, well, sadly, Danker was born too soon to have that opportunity. Murder, murder. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's so, anyway, I already name-checked that last episode, and that's yeah. what made me listen to it. Anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah. Spratt asks why she hasn't mentioned it. Or, well, no, he asked when she found out, and Denker says when Lady Edith visited. And Spratt asks the very good question, why she hasn't mentioned it in the many weeks since that happened. Denker has no good answer to that, because there is no good answer to it, because the answer is that Julian Fellows was just fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only reason. Like, ugh. She just says that she uh, thought she might spare him, but now she doesn't like his tone. Uh, so anyway, Spratt asks what she's going to do, and Denker says that's for her to know and him to find out. 
The only reason I haven't thrown down my microphone <laughs> and just beat my head into a bloody pulp against the table in front of me is that it's time for the second of our recurring segments. Tom repeats history with our very own magazine mogul, Tom. Tom, welcome to the program. Always a pleasure. Uh, yes, yeah, so this one I researched the history of agony aunts as they are known in uh, England or, you know, advice columnists in general. Uh, and it was uh, a little thin. I was hoping to find a bit more than I found, but I always regret that we. Re- I feel like we just delved into all of the meaty history stuff. Well, you know, God knows nobody thought this show would go on this long. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, and also the- nothing interesting happened between the years nineteen twenty <laughs> and nineteen twenty-five. Yeah, and like the Wikipedia article, like on advice columnists, has nothing. So I had to go looking around. I found a lot of things. I found were all reviews of the same book which was called i believe never make love in a canoe which is a history of these uh and is probably a much better source than this segment is about to be if you're really interested <laughs> listen part of the reason we cousin leah cousin of the week is because of her laziness that is true uh so anyway the first advice columnist ever was john dunton in 1691 Ugh, what a horrible name yeah he published a paper worse than sprat <laughs> he published a paper called the athenian mercury and was also having an affair. And it occurred to him that there wasn't really anybody he could ask for advice about how to handle his adultery. And so he was like, hey, I'll start a paper and, or I'll start a column and people can write in with anonymous questions. So there were some of these like s- sort of what we think of as more standard advice columnist questions like about, you know, having an affair, or, you know, suspicion, you know, all that sort of like relationship stuff. But there was also a lot of like general questions such as, how can a man know when he dreams or when he is really awake? Um, also, why do sermons seem longer than they are? <laughs> <laughs> and, it was the internet before the internet. <laughs> yeah. And is it okay to throw a witch in a pond? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, go watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail and shut up. Right. Uh, he once advised a woman who was worried about uh, ending up single to go down to the docks and hook a sailor. So. I mean, define single. Because they're gone a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But that was. Like, what's worse, being single or having syphilis? <laughs> uh, that's probably a tough question to decide at that point in history. Anyway, uh, he also spun off The Ladies' Mercury, which was the first ever periodical focused on women. And it was essentially just an advice column uh, for specifically, you know, questions that women had. Daniel Defoe, most famous as the author of Robinson Crusoe, decided to start up his own advice column, quote, to enlighten the stupid understandings of the meaner and more thoughtless members of the public. Boy, that doesn't make me want to write to him at all. No, it did not go well. <laughs> he was not, it was not a success. Uh, the fundamental thing about being an advice columnist, like, even if you're going to be super critical, you have to fundamentally believe that people have the capacity for good. <laughs> yeah. But he would just do things like a woman wrote in to say that she had been seduced and he'd be like, well, you're a dirty whore. Goodbye. Like, you know, just. God. Yeah. Bad news, Amber. Yeah. So anyway, the, the practice spread pretty quickly. It was popular. Uh, and Pre-Victorian times, they were often reasonably liberal. The advice columnists were big advocates against arranged marriages and then later for women to be able to control their property after they got married. Uh, so they're both kind of on the forefront of those things. 
Uh, a guy one time wrote to a London paper saying that uh, some he had gotten a fight with some other guy and asked whether he should fight a duel. And they replied, yes, because probably one of you will die in the duel, and then the other one will get hanged for dueling, and then the world will be rid of both of you. <gasps> wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, take that, dear prudence. <laughs> uh, a William Alcott wrote that economic considerations should never be substituted for love, so pro, uh, but he also warned against masturbation and said that a married couple should only have sex once a month. He was like, once a month is plenty, people. So, yeah. Uh, Also, a lot of questions... I'm making a very upset face. (laughs) Right. Uh, And this kind of goes back to the sailor thing. A lot of questions would be essentially like ads for missing sons or husbands who had wandered off. Oh, my God. Or, relatedly, questions about bigamy. Bigamy was a major issue at the time because divorce was illegal, but also there was no central registry of anything, so you could just sort of wander off to a new town and claim to be single. Or be a sailor. Right. Or be a sailor. Which is illegal now. Yeah. So, for example, there was a a woman who asked for advice. She had gotten married and then found out that her husband was already married. So she had him transported for bigamy to Australia. Ooh. Mm -hmm. She then heard that he was dead uh, and remarried. But then uh, he wrote to her (gasps) saying he was still alive and he wanted to get back together. Yes. Uh, So the advice columnist said, stick with the guy you married. The honest one is your true husband. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Then in the... (laughs) What the... Oh, hey, um, you know, I've had a lot of time to think that they had me transported to Australia. I'd like to get back to get, like, who, what is that guy's problem? <laughs> That's the thing about, you know, the frustrating thing about guys are the creepier they are, the more optimistic they are. <laughs> oh my God, that is so true. Yeah. I kind of need to go lay down on my painting couch now that you've said that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so then the Victorian era comes along. Oh, boy! Yeah. So things got much more Victorian. Uh, advice such as marital sex during pregnancy could morally damage the fetus. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which is just insane. Uh, and the boy's own paper had an advice column which was devoted almost entirely to avoiding the school vice, which was masturbation. This reminds me of my youngest brother's first confession. Uh, I wasn't there. Okay. I was. I would hope not. Or was it his first communion? No, it was first confession. Okay. The priest was some old guy who was losing it because mm-hmm. nobody wants to be a priest Catholic church because <laughs> she can't bone down. Yeah. But he was like talking, you know, he was giving a sermon about like, you know, it was like about like, you know, stopping the sins you were confessing. Like, you know, but I have this problem with masturbation and like this is a bunch of seven-year-olds yeah who are being made to go into a box and tell somebody <laughs> oh you know i wanted some candy like they, yeah you know, a seven-year-old <laughs> is essentially incapable of sin right and like <laughs> like just everybody in the congregation was like, like we just don't say that word at mass right like there's That's plenty, a general there's we all plenty fa- of euphemisms. We all thought we understood that policy. Like here. it's covered under impure thoughts. <laughs> like just say impure thoughts. Yeah. Impure actions. Plenty of euphemisms. Anyway. Yeah. Just saying, people really are and historically have been opposed to masturbation when it's fine. Yeah. They they were convinced otherwise. 
Uh, so starting in the 30s. Controversial the- stance. <laughs> Downton Abbey podcast is pro-masturbation. It is. Uh, so things started to thaw out in the 30s a little bit, but basically after the Victorian era, advice columnists for a long time had become relatively conservative rather than relatively liberal as they had been before. Uh, in the 50s, one aunt uh, named Peggy Makins recalls that she couldn't use the word bottom, even like a completely non-sexual way. Just the word bottom itself could not appear in so her she column. she say the bottom of the barrel? Right, exactly. Because people would envision a barrel with a butt. <laughs> Yeah, the specific example she used was the bottom of the garden. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, in 1968, an Irish woman was advised that sex was, she was about to get married and she was wondering like how much sex would they be having and it was told that it was the husband's prerogative and she should have it as often as he wanted it. So. Does it matter that she was Irish? Um, well, it matters a little bit just because Ireland has traditionally been more socially conservative in that way Mm, interesting yeah so i'm not sure that an an english paper would have given the same advice at the time uh and so you know and nowadays obviously things have gone much more the dan savage route and uh people are fine with everything Mm -hmm. uh but i actually saw an interesting column in the economist that talked about advice columns around the world that are still in that sort of uh, those sorts of more repressive societies like South Africa mm-hmm. and China and how they have to, to struggle with... Does Iran have them? Uh, not that was mentioned. I would love to read an Iranian advice column. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like like an example was given of in a South African advice column that a man who wrote in saying that he was worried that he was gay, she the advice columnist couldn't say anything supportive in the article, but she could refer him. She'd be like, Hey, you should go see this therapist mm-hmm. who she happened to know would mm-hmm. be like, okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so things like that. So it's sort of interesting the way that, you know, people navigate these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that is what I have to say. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Man, you know what I miss is the ethicist. Yeah. I loved the ethicist. I know. Not that there wasn't ever any sex in it. Right. I but just it was... appreciated its like very clearly clinical approach. Mm-hmm. I agree. Man, I wish I was the ethicist. <laughs> anyway, I am not and probably shan't be. Probably not. Given certain of the choices I have made. <laughs> People would be like, you? <laughs> I don't know, though. I'm reasonably ethical. I think you are. I mean, I think your main hindrance is going to be, you know, not the child of interesting and important people in new york city like you know what i mean i've tried so hard to be adopted (laughs) every year i try dear vanderbilts i say (laughs) all right back to the episode it's dinner at downton rose says she was very glad to hear of isabel's wedding which happened off screen yeah isabel hoped that she thanked her uh, sufficiently for her wedding present books are murty's favorite thing he doesn't read he just likes having them around (laughs) Lord Grantham asks why Murdy isn't there. Isabel says she was worried about him being overtired and explains to Rose that he's not well. But funnily enough, he is a picture of health, uh, which is weird. It is weird. Uh, but she says he'll certainly be at the wedding. Mary asks if he regrets leaving Murty House, a.k.a. Cavanum, yeah. to Larry. And Isabel says, no, let them wallow in splendor. Much good may it do them. They're happy as they are. So I guess he took care of any legal loopholes Apparently. that might have been. Yeah. And uh, you know what? They probably will enjoy it. They, like, that was really their whole <laughs> thing. This is exactly their desired outcome. Like, do they have any friends? Like, they must. I, I'm sure they do. I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, Larry's got his, you know, annoying friends in London or whatever. Yeah. You know? 
she tells Edith she has to provide that she has to preside over a hospital meeting tomorrow afternoon, and Atticus asks about it. She explains that they invite the public in, and there are financial supporters, uh, but also just ordinary people who live in the village. It's important that they understand what the hospital does. Lord Grantham says the day before Edith's wedding, and McGee says it'll be two hours at the most. Rose says she and Atticus can help out around the house, which like what do they even have to do? Like, isn't this why they have servants? Uh, Lord Grantham says that's not the point. Rosamond asks, what is the point? Matthew Good jumps in to say that he and Marion Branson have an errand in York tomorrow. And Edith says she could manage. It's only the flowers, and they've already been chosen. Lord Grantham says surely McGee wants to be there for that, and Rosamond tells him to drop it. Yeah. Mary asks what errand this is, and Matthew Good says, you'll see. <laughs> Lord Grantham asks Carson for more claret, and Carson asks Andy to do <laughs> And Lord Grantham says, it's just there. And it's like, dude, come on. Yeah. Like, don't yell at your butler in front of everybody. Yeah. Also, another plot line, conveniently suspended for three months with absolutely no change. (laughs) Carson says that Andy will pour it. And Rose says that uh, it was all in the papers, even in New York. Lady Edith and her millionaire, Marquess. Like, was it? Apparently. I guess so. I think I... I feel like it would have been like it wouldn't have been front page news, but yeah. they had a page devoted to any royal people that got married yeah. or nobility that got married. Edith says he wasn't either when he first proposed, and Mary says, "Well, he was when you accepted." <laughs> and again, great scene, everybody. Glad we all learned this information. Thomas stands at dinner and reminds Sir Mark that he will be away on New Year's Eve. Jenkins will bring the tea. Sir Mark says, "The cook." bringing in tea but thomas says that lady styles said she'd allow it just this once and mark's like uh oh is lady styles even real because <laughs> we never see her no we do see her but oh, she we? never speaks and she is talked about in her presence as if she is not there weird yeah in the library lord grantham brings shrimpy a drink and he apologizes for being late and tells Rose that she looks wonderful. Rose says he looks hungry. And he says, no, he had dinner on the train. <laughs> Again, awesome, awesome scene. Yeah. So vital. Well, I was worried about where you had dinner. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't just show him at the wedding? <laughs> yeah. He can't just be there? What if he was starving to death? <laughs> he is broke, right? Like, <laughs> right. What's he doing for money these days? Yeah. So wait, did he and Susan get an actual divorce, or are they just living apart? I think they're just living apart, but I don't recall. I can't remember either. It doesn't really matter. We'll deal with it later. (laughs) Which he sits by Edith and says that she hopes she doesn't mind that she'll be missing the flowers. Edith says that Lord Grantham just resents the hours that McGee spends at the hospital. McGee says, yes, hours that she's not spending with him. Edith's sure it's just unconscious, and Rosamond says that men are unconscious for so much of the time. I wonder what Rosamond's been getting up to in her personal time. Remember yeah. that guy that was trying to scam her? I do. Ah, uh, what a time. Yeah. Matthew Good tells Branson he's starting to think they should have waited until after the wedding. Branson says no. Mary will enjoy herself more. Atticus walks up and asks what they're talking about. Nothing. They're talking about nothing. Matthew Good (laughs) says he's busy reinventing himself, and Branson says he's being reinvented too. Atticus says he liked the old models. And I was like, have you even met Matthew Good? But I guess he did at that castle last year. Yeah. Or whatever. Presumably. Yeah. A lot happened in that Christmas special, apparently, and I have retained none of it. Yeah. They shot some things. Lord Grantham asked Mary if Carson was behaving oddly at dinner, and Mary says he hasn't been himself for ages. Three months! <laughs> That's right. And suggests they go down now and see what it's about. 
So in the Carson cave, Carson is explaining the fact that there is no treatment. This is Parkinson's disease, incidentally, uh, is the general consensus online. Okay. Not just the palsy. Okay. Uh, he says he's sorry if Mary saw fit to trouble Lord Grantham with it. Lord Grantham says no. He was puzzled by that business at dinner and the fact that you haven't poured wine for three months, apparently. Carson says that it's for the best. Clearly, he has no choice but to offer his resignation. Lord Grantham says he doesn't mean that, but Carson says he can't stay if he can't perform his duties and that he should have been more honest with Mary. Hughes opens the door, then apologizes. Lord Grantham asks her to come in and talk sense into her husband. Hughes says then he's told them, and Carson says that when the wedding is over, he will place an ad and do the preliminary interviews himself. He couldn't give this house or this family into hands he doesn't trust. Lord Grantham says- You mean shaky hands? (laughs) Right. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Lord Grantham says this is very drastic. Mary asks if he'll stay in their lives and stay on the estate, keep an eye on things, help manage grand events. And Carson says that he would like to say yes, but he doubts the new butler would accept the job on those terms. He knows he wouldn't himself. And Mary is troubled. At the hospital, Isabel sees Murdy and asks what he's doing there. He says he feels a fool now. She's caught him. She asks again, and Murdy says he lives like an invalid, but he doesn't feel like one. He says her care of him is wonderful, but he ought to be fading fast, and he isn't. Isabel asks why he hasn't said any of this before, and Murdy says he didn't want to get her hopes up. Isabel asks what Dr. Clarkson says, and Dr. Clarkson said he'll run the tests again, but it's highly unlikely the London men were wrong. And Isabel says a practice in Harley Street doesn't guarantee excellence. This is certainly true, as we have all learned. I mean, Dr. Clarkson doesn't guarantee excellence either. Yeah, I mean, really, the medical, uh, you know, capabilities on this show are spotty at best. <laughs> Indeed. Rose walks into the library, says the flowers are done. Atticus asks where Bertie is staying, and Rosamond says with his mother at Castle Howard. Lord Grantham says that they should have invited him to dinner, and Rosamond says that would be unlucky. She asks where McGee is, and Lord Grantham says that she's gone to the wretched hospital. Rose asks why he doesn't like her going, and Lord Grantham says that they take advantage of her good nature. Rose says that she enjoys it, and Lord Grantham says that's why they take advantage. He asks what Branson and Matthew Good are doing. It seems hush-hush. And then Rose pipes up and asks if Lord Grantham could drive her into the village. Lord Grantham says now. Atticus offers to drive, but Rose says no, it has to be Lord Grantham. It won't take long. They'll be back before tea. Lord Grantham is confused, but says if she insists, and Rose is afraid that she does insist. Again, great scene. (laughs) Walking through some alley, Mary wishes that Matthew Good and Branson would just tell her what they're going to show her, and Matthew Good says it would ruin the surprises. Mary says that she hates surprises. Agreed. Yeah, we have been very clear about that, if nothing else, on this podcast. (laughs) Matthew Good says, there it is, Uh, Salieri. And she asks what she's looking at. Matthew Good says, Talbot and Branson Motors. Mary says it looks like a going concern. And Branson says it is a real live business. The cars on show are only stock, but they'll get more in. They walk in and Mary asks how it will work. And Branson says he'll go between there and the estate office and Matthew Good will be there full time. Matthew Good says he'll still have cars in his life, but not racing. And they'll run the business between them. Mary says this means they are secondhand car salesmen. (laughs) 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 I hate this so much. (laughs) Matthew Good says they will be once they've sold one. (laughs) Branson says not to be snobbish. They'll set up a dealership for new cars when they can. What do you mean you can't? Aren't you both fucking stinking rich? (laughs) 
And in time, they'll go into production, and there's nothing wrong with being married to Mr. Rolls and Mr. Royce. And uh, I'm like, are you going to marry both of them? <laughs> Matthew Good asks if he's miscalculated, if Mary's ashamed of him. Mary unconvincingly says, <laughs> she says, proud as anyone living. Yeah. Uh, it's like. Disagree. Yeah. She clearly isn't. And it's like, she read that line and she was like, I think you've got this one wrong. I, I, I don't see how I could be. And they're like, nope, you're proud. Matthew Good says, thank God. He swears he'll never ask for another thing. Mary says he will, and he's going to get it, too. She whispers to him. He asks if she's sure. She says, quite sure, but he mustn't tell a soul. He doesn't want to steal Edith's... She doesn't want to steal Edith's thunder. Uh, Branson says that in itself is a sign of happy times to come. Matthew Good and Mary kiss. Oh, uh, she's pregnant. Yeah. Like, this does not communicate that, but she's definitely knocked yeah, up. It's so clear. She's going to have another baby to ignore. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that Talbot and Branson Motors is going to crash and burn. Like... Like it's Charlie. <laughs> yeah. No, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be about as successful as that, like, bike shop that the Connors opened on Roseanne. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like the same thing. Um. no, and I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. I know you feel like you have to have a job or something, but, like, go separate piglets. <laughs> Do something useful. <laughs> Uh, somewhere that we haven't seen before, Lord Grantham asks Rose why they're there, and then hears the voice of McGee asking if there are any other questions. Lord Grantham looks in at the meeting as somebody asks if the new insurance contract will cancel out the old one, and McGee says no, all existing agreements will be honored, she promises. Some girl starts to ask something, but her mom says not to waste McGee's time, but McGee says that's what she's there for. The girl asks if Clarkson will be moving to York, and McGee says, no need to worry, he's still going to stay right there and keep ca- taking care of her. And she continues to assure the public and makes some joke we don't hear, but that they all laugh at. Uh, and Lord Grantham watching all this is moved. Rose asks what it is, and he says it reminds him of when she ran the house as a convalescent home during the war. Rose asks if he still thinks they're taking advantage of her. And she says if he wants to keep McGee, he must let her go. He says he's not very good at these American slogans. Rose says, then forget the slogan and listen to this. He has a wonderful marriage, and she should know, because her parents were, had a horrible one, and not to spoil the marriage by asking Gucci to choose. She walks off, and Lord Grantham ponders all he has seen. This is actually pretty sweet. It is, yeah. Did this, he need the scene that set it up? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, but this was nice. It was nice to see McGee, you know. Mm-hmm. In her element. Yeah. Again, she's in a show we have never seen. (laughs) In the kitchen, Mrs. Patmore asks if the coffee's ready, and Daisy asks what Mrs. Patmore is wearing tomorrow. She says she doesn't know one of her Sunday bests. Daisy says she doesn't have anything decent, and Mrs. Patmore's sure that's not true. But they'll only be on the edge of things. Daisy knows, but she wanted to look nice, and she says Rose's hair was lovely. Mrs. Patmore says Daisy's got good hair. She should try a new style if she likes. Not the day of a big event. (laughs) Daisy asks if she can go up a bit early, and Mrs. Patmore asks what she means by a bit. Daisy says now, while they're all still downstairs. What am I saying? Okay. They, yeah. That's what... What Patmore asks her what she means by a bit early, and what she means by it a bit early is right now, because they, the family, are all still downstairs and not up in their bedroom. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Mrs. Patmore asks what that has to do with it, much as I did. Yeah. Then says to go on, but she'll leave the washing up for the morning. Yeah. You can just... Uh, Daisy, this scene was not important. Daisy sneaks along the hall and asks what she's doing there, and she says that she's just fetching something, which 
completely answers the question as far as Anne is concerned. Just fetching something. Go wherever you want. In Mary's room, she goes through the drawers until she finds the hairdryer and then sneaks out. Couldn't you have just asked Anna if you could borrow the hairdryer and also be like, Anna, can you do my hair for me, please, at some point that is convenient for both of us? The answer appears to be no. At the Dower House, which made me excited, but then I saw the next part, (laughs) Danker tells the Dowager Countess that she worries about Spratt. He seems to be burning the candle at both ends. The Dowager Countess says that doesn't sound like the Spratt she knows. Danker says he's changed since she since he's taking this new job as a journalist. Danker says, oh, she thought the Dowager knew. It never occurred to her that Spratt wouldn't have told her. And I want to kill you, Danker. Yeah, you suck. I hate you. The Dowager Countess asks if she knows which publication. And Danker says, yes, Edith's. E, the E magazine, <laughs> she has a copy right here. The Dowager says, oh, open to the right page. How convenient. <laughs> Danker says she does feel responsible. Perhaps she should have held her tongue, but truth will out. The Dowager says every time, Danker, every time. Danker says not to be too hard on him when he get, when she gives him notice. And the Dowager starts laughing and asks why she would give him this notice. And... It's great. It is great. Fuck you, Danker. That's right. I wish... The only thing that would make this scene better is if the floor opened up and <laughs> swallowed her, and we never saw Danker again. That would be nice. In an upstairs bathroom, Daisy looks at herself in the mirror and starts cutting her wet hair. Yeah, I'm sure this is going to go great. Oh, yeah. Of course it will. In the kitchen, Patmore tells Anna... In the kitchen! <laughs> There's been no boot room this half. That's true. Get in the boot room! <laughs> we might be done with the boot room. I'm not ready for that. I, well, Could the movie be called The Boot Room? <laughs> We're in. It's a unit set. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine the reviews. The boots almost become their own character. <laughs> yeah, so it's the next morning, uh, and Patmore is telling Anna to put her feet up as she will be standing all day. And really, come on, you're nine months pregnant, you weirdo. Daisy walks in. Patmore asks where she's been. They've got a lot to do if they're going to get to the church. Also, shouldn't didn't she need to get up early to do the washing that Patmore mm-hmm. left for her? Daisy says she's not going. She's got nothing to wear. Nobody cares if she goes or not, so she'll stay and manage the food. Patmore says nonsense. This is because Andy's not interested and tells Anna that Andy's given her the brush off. Daisy says that he hasn't. And Anna's like, hey, Daisy, why are you wearing your cap all weird? (laughs) What's the matter? And Daisy says nothing. Patmore says, well, then take off the cap now. Uh, She can wear a cap how she wants as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, she takes it off and her hair is all crazy looking like waka waka. And Andy picks this moment to walk by, of course, and asks what she's done and starts laughing at her. So Daisy runs off. Anna says she'll talk to Daisy later, and Patmore tells Andy that he can laugh, but it's for him she made a fool of herself. Andy says that Daisy just doesn't care a scrap about him, and Patmore says no wonder he's on his own. He doesn't know women at all. Because once again, oh, so three months and they still haven't healed this rift, despite living in the same house and constantly going to that farm? <laughs> yep. Edith says she can't believe this is really happening to her. Uh, I mean, yeah. maybe, you know, wait till it's over. Yeah, then, we were tense. Yeah. McGee asks if the children are ready, and Edith asked Baxter to check. McGee says she's spoken to Mrs. Pelham, and Mrs. Pelham will take Marigold to Brancaster, so she's there when Edith's back from the honeymoon. Baxter comes in and says Nanny's getting the children ready, and Mary says they ought to get changed. I wonder if they've hired a new nanny for Brancaster. That's a good question. How far 
is Brancaster from Downton? Have we figured that out? Uh, I don't think Brancaster is necessarily locatable because it's fictional, and I don't think they mention it in okay. town or village. Thank you. Yeah. In the servants' hall, Anna works on Daisy's hair, and she says that she didn't know you needed to brush as you bloom. Anna says that she should have asked. Daisy says that Anna wouldn't have let her borrow the hair dryer. Bates wishes Anna would sit down, but she says she's nearly done. Andy walks in, and Daisy asks how she looks, and Andy says that she looks like Clara Bow. You love Clara Bow. I do love Clara Bow. She's the it girl. Uh, Daisy says not to be soft. Anna asks Andy to help with the sheet, and then bickers with Bates a minute as they leave, because their relationship is so great. Uh, so Andy and Anna pick up the sheet that was laid down to catch the uh, hair, and as they fold it, Andy says he thinks they've been out of step with each other. Daisy says she doesn't know what he means. Andy says if she really doesn't, then they'll leave it at that. But if she does, let's not be out of step anymore. Uh, he picks up a lock of her hair and walks out. Ew! The only locks of hair I support people having are dead people's. Okay. And that is arguably more creepy? Arguably, yeah. But here we are. <laughs> and I, look, this whole thing is mostly terrible, but I think Andy acquits himself reasonably well in these last couple of scenes. There's nothing That's to all be I'll done. Say. We just got to get through the end. Uh, okay. At the church, people mingle before the ceremony, and McGee says, I'm sorry, Matthew Good, not McGee. <laughs> Matthew Good says, a new baby, a new business. He supposes he must have been this happy at some point, but he can't remember when. All of their dialogue is so disingenuous. Yeah, it really is. Mary says hush, and to remind her to never tell him a secret again. Rosamond tells the Dowager that they didn't always think there'd be a happy ending for Edith. That makes millions of us, Rosamond. <laughs> the Dowager says there's a lot at risk, but with any luck, they'll be happy enough. What is at risk? They're both incredibly wealthy landowners. They, yeah. 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 Anyway, she says being happy enough is the English version of a happy ending. Uh, Rosamond asks what makes the English such downers. The Dowager says some say their history, but she blames the weather. This is kind of weak sauce. It is a little bit. It's a yeah. little weak sauce as yeah. wit goes. It is. Branson shows Miss Edmonds to her seat, and she's worried it's too near the front, but Branson says she saved Edith as much as anyone. Edmonds is glad nobody's mad at her for encouraging Edith to work. Edith already made up her goddamn mind. Yes, yes. Branson says they like strong women here. They like them very much indeed. And uh, I guess that's all we'll get out of Edmonds in the Christmas special. Yeah, which like, is kind of a bummer. But No, you know. well, and I knew from like the get-go that they were going to try to hook her up with Branson. Right. Which to me, I am not in favor of. Yeah. Uh, just the whole, I mean, it's all obviously coming together here. But like Julian Fellows was like, I have to pair everybody off. And yeah. like, that's not how life works. I agree. I'm with you. No, like just like just Mary didn't have to get paired off. No, it just needed like well, and, just and Edith read, and Murtabell, and that would have been plenty of sufficient. With uh, name <laughs> Vulture, and it made me hate him so much. Yeah, we really let him off the hook this series. You're right, and we, a lot of we this were on shit top is his of him, fault. And then we let well, it go. Like, Did you ever consider killing Lord Grant? He's like, oh no, you know, we like him too much. And like, and you know, somebody was like, oh, what about Sybil and Matthew? And I'm like, well, that was contractual, right? Yeah, they never would have. But it's like. It's like 101. You kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. Like, you tell the best story that you can. Yeah. And the story of Lord Grantham dying this season would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah. And put women much more at the fore. Yeah. Because they always talk about, oh, it's the story of women and their progress. And I'm like, is it, though? Yeah. Like... It's questionable. You love Lord Grantham. They do love Lord Grantham. Anyway. Well, we could kill him off, or we could give him a puppy! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> 
There was also a reference in that article to Julian Fellows having turned in a draft, <laughs> which again I find specious. <laughs> yes. Clarkson sits down behind Isabel and Murdy, says he'll need to move in a moment because this is for the rich people, not the lowly country doctors. Uh, but he wanted to tell them before the ceremony. Isabel says he doesn't have anemia. Clarkson says, no, he does. Murdy says, well, they won't wail and faint. It's no great surprise. Clarkson says, no, he has anemia, but it's not pernicious. He has iron-deficient anemia with low hemoglobin. Murdy says, so he isn't going to die? Clarkson says, well, he needs to keep looking after himself, but, well, no, not of that. Great. Yeah. I am disappointed that the plot was not Isabel discovering the cure for pernicious anemia. <laughs> that would have been cool. It would have been great. Yeah. Uh, probably less bantering with the Dowager, though. Yeah. I mean, that was that was her first plot line, was discovering the cure for dropsy. It's true. Well, not discovering, implementing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, hey. Yeah. Maribel lives. Yeah. That's great. It is great. We're happy. It's, This you know, plot line was kind of unsatisfying in that way. And we didn't get to see their wedding. Yeah, which like, is a you, shame. You show me a whole fucking scene of Rose deciding how to trick Lord Grantham into <laughs> driving her somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's it's a little bit cheap. But, hey, Murdy's so great. He is great. We can't We can't be sad about it. Bates and Anna sit down next to Thomas, uh, so I guess it's good that he and Mr. Bates parted friends. Yeah. Anna says he managed to get away, and Thomas says the treadmill awaits his return. Anna asks if he's getting on with everyone, as they discussed. Thomas says that there isn't much of an everyone to get on with, and Anna asks if he enjoys it more than being at war with all the world, and Thomas says he supposes so. Anna shifts and fans herself, and Thomas asks, what's the matter? Bates has not paid attention or <laughs> said anything in yeah. this scene. And she says, it's just a bit hot in here. Uh, yeah, you're pregnant. Yeah. You shouldn't be anywhere. You, sh- you really like, shouldn't. You know, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of criticisms we made about pregnant women being confined. Mm-hmm. That's a bad word. Right. But it's like, seriously, when I'm pregnant, you better believe I'm going nowhere. <laughs> I'm doing nothing. <laughs> Edith comes downstairs in her wedding dress. Lord Grantham sees her and says that she looks lovely. Edith asks if he ever thought they'd get to this day. Lord Grantham says he's not sure. Maybe, but no one can plan on a brilliant match. I mean, they they did get to this day before. Yeah, they got to this point in the day. Yeah. Also, that wedding dress was way cuter. And yeah. she's wearing what looks like a cake decoration stuck to her <laughs> forehead. And like I'm like, what happened to that like more like traditional mm-hmm. hair comb that you guys always wore? But anyway. Yeah. Unimportant, I guess. Yeah. Edith says that she adores Bertie. Lord Grantham says, let him be a little bit proud about Bertie's high rank, and he'll calm down eventually. Edith says that if he's proud of her, please be as proud as he wants for as long as he wants. This is kind of a nice bookend, though, to their scene in the first episode where she's sad about uh, Patrick dying, Mm -hmm. which I think is not in the UK cut. I think, yeah. I think it's only in the US cut. If I recall. So it's no good to any of us. (laughs) Rose stands with Atticus and Bertie, and she says she'd like to say she had an inkling when they met at Brancaster, but she didn't. And Bertie says he didn't either. Great. (laughs) Atticus says one minute they hardly know each other, and the next they're related. Atticus, don't quit your day job. (laughs) You are not good at talking to people. He's not. The organ strikes up, and they all go to their places, and Lord Grantham walks Edith down the aisle. Matthew Good whispers to Mary and asks if they can at least tell her parents. Does he have parents? Or any family apart from Lady Shackleton? <laughs> no. Who is this guy? He sprung forth from Zeus's forehead. <laughs> Just like that cake decoration that he is wearing. <laughs> yes. 
Mary says once Edith leaves on their honeymoon, they can tell everyone. And Matthew Good asks if they'll be best friends now, she and Edith. And Matthew Good says, Mary says, Matthew Good is a sentimentalist. Matthew Good repeats the questions. And Mary says, they're sisters and sisters have secrets, which is a good thing to say. Yeah. There's like an hour of great shit in here. There is. Travis starts the ceremony and there are shots of everybody watching and it's great. Yeah. Uh, they get through it. Yeah. It they happens. get married. They're officially like, married. Yeah. Gregson doesn't rush in to say he objects. You know, a branch doesn't fall on Edith. (laughs) I was supposed to be your tree. (laughs) (laughs) So at the wedding breakfast, McGee says the last one's off their hands. I found this to be a line in extremely poor taste. Yeah. The last one's off your hands. Uh, You know, one of them is dead. Yeah. And... I would like to think you would be happy to live with her as a spinster for the whole, the whole rest of her life than have her be dead. I agree. And it's not McGee's fault. Yeah. This is a Baron Fellows special <laughs> through and through. But it's like, there's so many kind things that she could have said here, and they chose to say something that is effectively very mean. Yeah. That is true, but she's Or said even, it. you know, that's the last of them settled. Like... I understand. Anyway, I find it very irritating when people act like women are a burden. I understand. Lord Grantham says, illogically, he feels a sense of achievement, even though he had little enough to do with it. I feel like he gave Edith some decent advice. Yeah, he did. And I mean, you know, he uh, caused her to be a person. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. No, that's true. Anyway, McGee says it's a job well done. And Lord Grantham says another job well done is her job at the hospital. She asks what brought this on, and he explains how Rose took him to the meeting. McGee says he should have said hello. <laughs> Just, uh, hello, everyone. I'm very sorry. I'm Lord Grantham. You may know me. I own all of you. Polite applause. <laughs> <laughs> hello! <laughs> sorry to slow you down. <laughs> Golly gumdrops. What a turn up. <laughs> Lord Grantham says he was too busy watching, and you know something? He was very proud of her. McGee says not to say it if he doesn't mean it, but Lord Grantham says he does. She is a woman of real substance, and he's lucky enough to call her his wife. McGee says so she doesn't have to give it up? Lord Grantham says she wouldn't have anyway, and McGee laughs and says, no, probably not. But it makes it so much sweeter if it's with his approval. And he kisses her hand. Okay, great. (laughs) It is sweet. I don't know. I... Just like, oh, like his approval. You know, she's still like a Victorian girl. You know what I mean? She is. Like, there's nothing to be done about it. Yeah. But they both know that there was he was never going to, you know, force her to stop going to the yeah. hospital. He was just going to be a whiny baby about it forever. <laughs> Remember when he won uh, Cutest Baby? <laughs> In the kitchen. In the kitchen. <laughs> Mrs. Patmore gives Andy some things to take up and tells Daisy that something needs to go back in the oven and somebody else not to put something in yet. Anna comes in and asks for the Epsom salts, and Mrs. Patmore asks if she's ill. Anna says, a bit of an upset, nothing serious. Mrs. Hughes comes in and says, it's all hands to the pump. Oh, we haven't even bothered commenting, but Anna's clearly just going to give birth, like, in the middle of this party. Right, yeah. Because she's been like, oh, I'm a million years pregnant. Oh, I'm hot. Oh, I need Epsom salts. (laughs) Mrs. Hughes says, it's all hands to the pump, and adds that it was a lovely service, and Edith has married. Hallelujah. Mrs. Patmore says, with Marigold off to Brancaster, everything looks good for the future. And Mrs. Hughes says, the less said about it, the better. <laughs> here, here. Mrs. Hughes wonders if they'll ever tell Marigold, and Anna thinks so. How did Mrs. Patmore know? 
Because uh, I know Mrs. Hughes and Anna knew because they saw the pig man with her in the train that time. Right. I think maybe Patmore doesn't know and is like not part of this little part of the conversation. Possibly. I don't know. Um, Anna thinks that they will tell Marigold when she's ready. Mrs. Hughes asks Anna if she's going to sit down and Anna says she just wants to put the hairdryer back upstairs. Mrs. Hughes says she'll leave them to it. Daisy tells Andy that she's decided to move to the farm. Andy says she won't regret it, and Daisy says she's decided a lot of things, but she won't tell them all of them now, uh, which is good, because Mrs. Patmore yells at Andy <laughs> to get upstairs. Yeah, this really isn't the time for these life choices. Upstairs, Andy asks Carson for some more glasses of wine. Carson attempts to pour some wine, but his hands start shaking, and he slams the bottle down and says he cannot pour the bloody stuff. This reminds me of your dad. Right, but this is shocking, because he's Carson. Yeah. Like, it was, it was really like... A thing. Lord Grantham comes and asks if Carson is all right. Carson apologizes, and Lord Grantham says not to be silly. Matthew Good offers to pour, as does Thomas, and Carson says that Thomas is there as a guest. Yeah, Matthew Good has all that experience from making martinis <laughs> on the lawn. See, he could have just been the butler. Yeah. <laughs> have you met my husband? He's also a butler. We call him Carson Jr. <laughs> he doesn't like it, but he's our servant now. <laughs> Uh, Thomas says he's happy to help, and Lord Grantham says, Aha! He knows the answer to all this. He and Hughes, Carson and Hughes, will stay in their cottage, but what if they ask Thomas to be the butler? Carson, as elder statements, as elder statesman, would steer things as always, and what does he think? He'll have a pension from the estate. Mary says, Well, you can't pretend Thomas isn't sufficiently experienced. Carson says, No, he wouldn't say that. He trained him himself. Mm-hmm. Mary asks Thomas if he'd like to be butler there, and Thomas says certainly. So isn't he still technically under butler? No, he's... Well, okay, I see what you you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but, uh, you Again, know. just super glad we went through that whole plot. Yeah, like, and this is... Well, here, I'm going to finish out this scene, and then I'll say what I think. Uh, so Lord Grantham says it's settled. Thomas will work out his notice and then start at Downton on a date that suits them both. The family heads off and Carson, who is really like very sad in this scene, mm-hmm. stops Thomas. He tells him he doesn't want to force Thomas's hand. And Thomas says he doesn't want to twist Carson's arm. Hughes, who is also sad, thinks Lord Grantham has found a solution, so they should be glad of that. Hughes and Carson walk off, and Thomas begins serving wine. So was he there as a guest or a servant? He was there as a guest. Okay. Like it's it's said. And the thing about it is, is that this is one of the, well, I mean, it's one of the many examples of just a major plot lines taking up a whole season and being immediately undone. Yeah. Which is an, one of the most annoying things about this show. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that makes this work at all is is the way Carson and Hughes play it, how this isn't neat and tidy for them. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is a huge blow for Carson, mm-hmm. even if there's this super convenient answer. Like, it's not an answer for him, and he's never, you know, he's he's lost the life that he's led yeah. all these years. Tom's getting emotional, people. I am. It was, that's, and it's it's thanks to, to Jim Carter. Mm-hmm. He's great. Yeah. Weird for him. <laughs> yes. In Mary's room, Anna walks in, and Mary hopes Anna's not working. Uh, isn't the point of being a live-in servant that you're always working? Yeah, but people have been telling Anna for over three months at this point that she can, like, lay off yeah. and have some maternity leave here. Uh, Anna says she just came to put the hairdryer back. Uh, it was a great success. Mary says that her hat was so tight it was giving her a headache. Could they stretch it? Anna says to let her try, but then says, oh, my God. Mary says, ah, 
your waters have broken. And it is hilarious. It is. Like, it is the funniest thing you've ever done, and I do not think it was intentional. She says that there's no need to panic, and Anna says she should get to the cottage where her things are, and Mary says that she can have one of her nightgowns. Let's get you undressed. And Anna says this doesn't seem right, and Mary says, what does that matter now? Now, I was seeing in some of the recaps that people were writing like, oh, you know, there's no difference between upstairs and downstairs now. And I'm like, that can't possibly be the point of this show. Yeah. Like it can be. Right. But, but that is not what the reality of the situation was. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying even that like Mary wouldn't allow Anna to give birth in her bed. I'm just saying it doesn't mean that they're equals. Right. Well, it doesn't like, cause note what happens earlier in this scene. Mary's like, I hope you're not working. Also, could you fix my hat? Yeah. You know, like it's, there's still definitely, there's a power imbalance because she's her employer. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like no matter how different those two populations are relating, one of them still, you know, controls the other one. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter if one nice thing happens. Right. Here, here. <laughs> For further information, see the name of our podcast. <laughs> so Matthew Good runs downstairs and calling for Bates and says he's better come quickly, although heavens knows how long it'll be. Bates says he doesn't understand. Matthew Good says that Anna is in Mary's room and Dr. Clarkson is with her. So Bates gets excited because he has finally figured out the cryptic puzzle that Matthew Good has laid out for him. Hughes runs up with towels, and Carson says she can't have the baby now. Hughes says she doesn't have much choice, and Carson says, in Lady Mary's bedroom. Back at the party, with there is no babies, the Dowager tells Spratt that Danker has told her all about his column, and Danker says she thought the Dowager already knew. The Dowager gives her a look, and Spratt says, if you believe that, you'd believe anything. He starts to say something, but the dowager cuts him off and says, in future, she shall come to him for advice about her clothes and her entertaining. Who knew we had an expert in the basement? <laughs> uh, the speeches are starting, and Spratt tells Danker she made a mistake. The dowager countess never likes to be predictable. Yeah. Which I would like this scene so much better, again, if Danker <laughs> was a charred corpse <laughs> tottering around. <laughs> Or just at least have a bucket of pig's blood fall on her or something. <laughs> I hate Danker. In the kitchen, Mason says, if Daisy means what she says, that he will drink a toast with gusto. Daisy says, yes, she's coming to the farm at long, long last. Mason says he hopes th- they'll be seeing a lot more of Patmore, too. Patmore says she doesn't know about that, but Mason thinks she does. Uh, and Patmore says, oh, they ought to get up for the speeches. So, hey, I guess they're going to bone. Oldpeoplebone.com. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're thinking of oldpeoplemingle.com. <laughs> A.K.A. Pig Farm. <laughs> I feel like speeches at a British wedding are very different from American. Like, there are speeches, but, like, yeah. nobody cares about them. Well, I don't know. I think... I don't know. I think it's... Oh, we call them toasts. Yeah. We don't call them speeches. I think... I mean, there's clearly differences, but I don't think they're that major. I don't know. I don't know either. I just feel like they occupy a more important role somehow here. I think... Well, yeah, I guess you may be right in the idea that a certain person might be, you know, privileged to to give the speeches Mm -hmm. in the way that Shrimpy is here. Yeah. I don't know. No more fashion backwards to find out. (laughs) Aw. Shrimpy, who I would like to point out, uh, you have incorrectly identified as Lord Cinderby. 
Which one was Lord Cinderby? Lord Cinderby was Atticus's father. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so fair anyway. Enough. How could you forget Shrimpy? In what? the final episode. <laughs> Shrimpy? Is that you? <laughs> I I apologize. I just wanted to shame you in front of the cousins. <laughs> Thank you. We all appreciate it. Anyway, he says it gives him great pleasure to call blessings upon the head of the beautiful Marchioness of Hexham. But first, he should read a telegram from Mackell. Hey! I'm sorry I could not be with you, although we pray for those in peril on the sea. I am too old to be one of them. <laughs> Which is a great telegram. Yeah. She doesn't even say, like, good luck. <laughs> right. Or, like, happy for you, boo. <laughs> She's just like, fuck the sea. I ain't risking my life for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man lord grantham says in a way he's sorry mackel is not there mcgee says in a way but not in every way <laughs> yeah. which is great and birdie says they're going to have a wonderful life and edith says she supposes this is all really happening uh yeah edith yeah. now is the time to believe <laughs> and then shrimpy toasts them Matthew Good asks Branson if he should take a drink up to Mary. Branson supposes she'll need one. Edmund says her maid is giving birth in her bedroom. How very modern. She's back. Okay, yeah. I guess I clearly forgot yeah, that this you would were, happen. You were, you were mad. I was, I was. Matthew Good says it wasn't exactly planned. Edmund says which of our lives is. Matthew Good heads up after remembering to grab a drink for himself mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and Edmund says that he's nice and wishes Branson luck with the business, though she's sure he won't need it. Branson says they all need luck. Yeah. You know, you're a competent person and you're <laughs> making the mistake of assuming that either of these men is competent. <laughs> right. Baxter runs down and says they're going. Mrs. Patmore says, oh, I won't miss this. And like what? sprints off. Why like- do you fucking care? <laughs> she's changing clothes. Right. Like, yeah. It's just, it makes no sense. It doesn't, I agree. Like, did Leslie Nichol have it written in her contract that she needed X number of scenes in this episode? (laughs) Anyway, the front hall is packed and everybody applauds as Bertie and Edith come down. Edith tells Mrs. Pelham she'll try not to disappoint her. And Mrs. Pelham says just to love Bertie, she won't be disappointed. So, again, this is yet another plot line where it's like, why did we go through all that? Yeah, that was, yeah, the the Pelham thing, that really, gugh. Like, just such a, just padding. Anti-climax. Yeah, just filler. Lord Grantham tells Edith to have a wonderful time and not to worry about anything. Well, you aren't keeping her ward, so. (laughs) Edith says it's so strange, she feels so completely happy, and she doesn't think she's ever felt that before. McGee says that she will for a long time to come. Branson says to hurry or she'll miss her train. Birdie says to throw the bouquet, and it goes straight to Miss Edmonds. Hey, of course it does. Sure. she's a show that wrote the improbable scenario of McGee stepping right on a bar of soap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a good thing, too, because Edmonds, who's the editor of a successful magazine, clearly incomplete. Oh, yeah. And, well, and she catches it, and then we cut to Branson. And I remember reading an interview with Alan Leach where he was, like, very dissatisfied with the way that his character's story ended. Because clearly, like, you know, he wanted to, like, have Branson have an actual relationship. Right. Um, and I mean, I don't blame him for that necessarily. Yeah, yeah, you want what you want. But it's like, if you're not gonna follow through on it. Yeah. Well, and that's the case with all of these things that they're forcing together at the end mm-hmm. here. It's like, okay, Mrs. Patmore and Mr. Mason, like, maybe. Right. Baxter and Mosley, even yeah. less so. Yeah. And then Edmonds and Branson and Daisy and Andy, even. Yeah. It's just like, well, we're not gonna see any of it. Yeah. 
like why the urgency yeah like we can write our own fan fiction if we want to pair up different people that weren't paired up yeah anyway uh birdie and edith make their way out shaking hands and kissing cheeks yeah lord grantham sees carson standing alone and says that he hopes carson's not too unhappy about the way things have turned out and he says the downton will be a very different place without him at the helm carson says the world is a very different place and downton abbey must change with it Lord Grantham says to make sure there's enough to drink downstairs to see in the new year. And Carson asks to take the opportunity to wish Lord Grantham and McGee the happiest of new years. He says no one could pray for his good fortune more heartily than him. Lord Grantham says that they're very grateful to him, very grateful indeed for everything, and they shake hands. Okay, so we have talked merciless shit. Yeah. <laughs> but man, like the cast in this is incredible. Yeah. They've had to do some absurd things. Yeah. That no actor should <laughs> ever have to do. Yeah. And we're not even done describing them. Yeah. <laughs> Hugh Bonneville and Jim Carter yeah. are like titans. Yeah. They are both amazing. They are. And it's just nice for them to have this moment together. Yeah. And it was just a moment and it was just it allowed us to, you know, this whole, like, upper crust defending Downton thing that they've always sort of been, just have a moment of that pure, them really connecting on that level that they've yeah. always had the ability to connect on, but just a moment where it was just undiluted by any other ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Mary's room, Anna's holding her baby. Hooray! <laughs> it's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> You're under arrest. What is it, a boy? A girl? Mr. Bates? (laughs) It's a murderer. (laughs) Just like I always planned. She says she'd like to go on working if they can sort out the baby. Which, pretty standard thing to say when you've just given birth. Right? Although I was, today I was, I was fantasizing about like various business things I might do. And if I were to give birth during an important event. Would I commandeer a wheelchair and go to the thing? Anyway, that's me. That's not about y'all. All right. Uh, Mary says that they will have the baby in the nursery during the day, followed by a young Talbot in due course, and then they'll see. Lord Grantham comes in and says he's to summon Mary and Matthew Good downstairs to see the new year in, and he brought champagne for the Bateses, because you could still drink back then. I know. Take that uh cdc or whoever yeah i think it was the cdc i don't know fuck those guys they can't even solve the zombie apocalypse right mary asks if edith got off all right and uh, mcgee says yes hours ago and goes to see the new arrival Bates says he's a father and he has a son anna says we have a son john now i'm going to have this baby kill you (laughs) i've got what i want from you it's the way i always hoped i'd go Lord Grantham congratulates them. Anna apologizes for being in Mary's room. And Bates says that they'll leave as soon as she's able. Mary says not to worry about that. They ought to go down and wishes them a happy new year. Shouldn't you worry about that a little? Like, where are you going to sleep? <laughs> That's a fair question. Isn't that bed soaking wet well, now? No, I know. Like, isn't it ruined? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's the We've other... seen Call the Midwife. Right. But that's Ooh, again... there's a new season of that that we Ooh, haven't seen. that's right. Uh, but that's, uh, again, to this point, she says, oh, don't worry about that. But everybody in the... It's not like if they were there, like, two days later, they wouldn't be like, oh, you said not to worry about it. And Mary wouldn't be like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. She'd be like, well, here's your notice. <laughs> You can go on working somewhere else. I'm afraid I can't write a good character for your baby. (laughs) (laughs) 
In the hall, Lord Grantham says that the Dowager would find it rather unorthodox. McGee says maybe, but she thinks the more adaptable they are, the more chance they have of getting through. Uh, which also, so is the Dowager. Like, I fuck know. you guys. I agree. She's done a lot. <laughs> I'm with you. Lord Grantham says they'll do it. The estate's safe in Mary's hands with help from Matthew Good and Branson. Edith has risen from the cinders to be kissed by her very own Prince Charming. What more can they ask? McGee says, a long and happy life together, just we two, to watch the children grow. That's all I want. <sighs> yeah. I love her so much. I know. I do, too. I'm going to miss her most of all. I know. I agree. I want a whole spinoff. McGee, <laughs> hospital administrator. <laughs> Cha! Yeah, it would be like, you know, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, man. with McGee. The other one that was a spinoff? Yeah. Private practice? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. Shondaland? <laughs> Which one of those focused on the administrators? <laughs> <laughs> no, we want that show about, uh, you know, the police internal affairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the police who investigate the police. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so Lord Grantham says, why not? Of course we never know what's coming, but he thinks that they have a good chance. Branson hastily pours some champagne and hands it to McGee and Lord Grantham. McGee sits by the Dowager Countess and says it's good of her to stay. The Dowager says it's good of her to ask. And it's McGee's kingdom now, her village, her hospital. And she thinks McGee runs it very well. Yeah. Aw, guys. (laughs) Well, because in the first season, like, there, Uh in, like, that first season, McGee's a fucking beast. Yeah. Like... And, you know, when we first watched it, we were much more invested in, like, Team Mary and stuff. But, like, sure. and I was, I was like, why is Mary so mean to McGee? And, like, McGee never gave a shit yeah, about really anything didn't. that Mary ever said to <laughs> yeah. her. Because I thought she had, like, been wounded at some point. <laughs> she was just like, nope. Yeah. Your slut ass needs to get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is just. Yeah. I'm just glad that they're friends again. And yeah. I've loved the Dowager. And I've loved McGee. And they've both done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. McGee is moved and kisses the dowager on the cheek and the clock strikes and everybody says happy new year upstairs and down in, in Mary's bedroom and in their car. Uh, we see Edith and Bertie and they kiss. Yeah. In the servants hall, Carson says it will be a different life. He says that she thinks they can make a go of it. Charlie. And she definitely means to try. They kiss and wish each other a happy new year. Thomas pours them wine and Hughes starts up singing old Lang Syne. It continues underneath people upstairs. We're smooching and talking and embracing. And the dowager is sitting with Isabel. And she says it makes her smile the way every year we drink to the future, whatever it may bring. Isabel says, what else could they drink to? They're going forward to the future, not back into the past. The dowager says, if only we had the choice and laughs. And she does this thing that the dowager always does when she says something funny that nobody else appreciates, where it's like she is kind of looking around like, is there anybody around here that gets me? No. <laughs> Uh, but Old Lang Syne continues on a shot of the Christmas tree and then a pull-out shot of Downton Abbey itself. <sighs> the no, end. and it's so silly that she even said that. Yeah. Because she wouldn't go back. Yeah. She likes the new modern world. Yeah. She acts all cranky, but yeah. she likes it. Yeah. And she's gotten to live for so much of it. Yeah. <sighs> it's the end of the show, it and I the hope they the don't show. do a movie because <laughs> fucking no. Yeah. Like, none of those people can have film careers. We've already decided. <laughs> yeah. Except for Maggie Smith. Yeah. Hugh Bonneville does fine. Yeah. Uh, McGee had hers. She yeah. doesn't even want it anymore. Yeah. She was like, bye. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. How the fuck are they going to get them all to renew their goddamn contracts? I got 
no answers. I'm just getting angry to fight my other emotions, everyone. Yeah. I don't mean to alarm you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it is, uh, it's been a whole thing. It has man. been. We've said a lot of funny things. We've cried a lot of tears. Yeah. We've talked about a lot of fashion and history. Yeah. And it's been years, man. It's been years. It's been four whole years yeah. that we have been doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, we hope you'll stick around for uh, Peaky Blinders and Mr. Selfridge. Yeah. And whatever the hell else we may do. Right. In the future. Keep an eye on Facebook and Twitter and uh, we'll, we'll yeah, keep and, you up to date. You know, um, I'm not totally sure how much I'll be maintaining the... Uh, at five Maggie Smith's Twitter feed going forward. You can always follow us individually. I am at the fatling and I am at real cynical jerk. Uh, yeah. So, you know, stay in touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until next time. Oh, we're doing the Abby Awards first. <laughs> I was going to take to my bed. <laughs> Go on. Last out at Labby Awards. We got to get those in. Okay. I might be crying through the whole thing. <laughs> it's very possible. All right. So first off, we have the worst decision. That goes to Danker. It does Danker. Danking it up. Just a general Just Dankery. A, fuck you. <laughs> like, seriously, Danker. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just boo. Yeah. Next. Did you have more Danker thoughts? <laughs> no. She just sucks. We all agree. Uh, next up, we have Best Evasion. <laughs> and that goes to Murdy, who evaded a life and death in captivity. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to uh, Worst Overbite. Uh, we'll go with Sir Mark. Yeah. And this is for the whole episode. We didn't do them last week, just right. to clear. Yeah. Uh, Sir Mark, for being an idiot. Yeah. And just thinking that he's hot shit. Yeah. Here, here. Next, we have the Gibson Girl Award. And that one, I went with Edith for that. Uh, she had a lot of good looks in this one. You know, she did get married. Would you get a bonus point for that? Yeah, except that that fucking thing on her forehead. I'm sorry. Anyway, it really bothered me in I a way clearly, that it clearly did not bother you. Yeah. Um, and Mary had a couple outfits that I really liked. One that was like a kind of black, white, and brown with a wide headband. Mm-hmm. But then she had some like other headband misses, as she so frequently has this season. <sighs> That's not a head built for bands. Yeah, but Edith had a lot of, a lot of solid colors in this episode. It had a blue one that she wore at the first time at Brancaster, mm-hmm. a pink one later. Yeah, so it was Edith. Next up, the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion. That goes to Anna. Yeah. Oh, a.k.a. A- the backing. Right. Uh, uh, Anna's maternity gear, people. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. It, it makes rough. maternity gear in the 1980s look downright attractive. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just, no. Yeah. Incorrect. Yeah. Bad choice. <laughs> Next, we have Cutest Baby. And that is a tie. A tie? That's right. Sibby and George were both basically in the same two scenes and both had adorableness in both of them in somewhat equal measure. Because... Uh, uh, George asked, said, please don't go, Mr. Barrow. But then when Thomas said to be good, Sibby was like, no, we won't. Well, then, and also, is it this one where they're at the, the state yeah. office? Yeah. And like, I'm working. Come on. <laughs> these kids, they're so cute. They are so cute. Uh, Marigold, better luck next time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You did not do well. 
uh, this series. It's it's unfortunate, but true. But now you're uh, richer than both of them. That's true. Even though you don't technically that's why have a rank. That's why she didn't have any lines. She was like, mm, I outrank you now. Yeah, but she doesn't because she's illegitimate. No, that's true. She's like Henry VIII's one random son. <laughs> Where he's like, well, we know, but we don't know. Yeah. And finally, for the very last time, the thing, the the inspiration for this podcast, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. It's a five. It is man. a five. She was great. She was in top form. She saved Murdabelle. Yeah. She had some quips. Yeah. Um, you know, she helped broker uh, Edith and uh, Bertie together. Mm-hmm. Just great stuff. Yeah. She, you know. Had her final reconciliation with McGee, mm-hmm. you know, and that that th- that was a plot line that played out beautifully. It did, yeah, and exactly. didn't double back on itself yeah. and render itself pointless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> so I guess we can't really uh, spin it out any longer, you guys. Yeah, man, thanks for coming along yeah. on this, uh, you know, ride. I guess now you're <laughs> all crash widows. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs. luncheon out.